Good morning, everyone who is here. Good morning to everyone who's joining us online. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen, and I just am privileged to stand up here regularly and bring God's Word to you and to us. And um, as was mentioned earlier, we're going to continue going through the book of Exodus. We were just over the course of the Easter week, we were looking at the story of Exodus, just joining the dots between the Exodus story and the gospel story. And the reason we were doing that is because that's what the Bible writers do. They say that this story is the same as this story. In fact, the Jesus story is the fulfillment of the Exodus story. But it's been a long time since we as a church have maybe spent some time digging deep into an Old Testament book. And so we're going to just pick up where we left off and continue going through the book of Exodus. Now, I know that one of the many different reasons that some of you may break into a sweat when you think about high school, I know you've got different reasons, but one of them is exams and tests and that they were brutal. Now, I know that some of you are sitting there saying, but I loved exams and tests. I, for, some, for those of you who don't know, before I started studying for my geological degree, I studied a year of chemical engineering, and, and I didn't do too well there, but uh, there was a guy that I was studying with who literally, I'm not even joking, he would party three, four times a week. And I'm talking like 2, 3 a.m., and when I say party, I mean party, including exams week, and yet this guy would still crack high 90s. So someone like him is like, yeah, test schmissed. But as for the rest of us, mere mortals, just the idea of those exams and the outcomes and what does that mean for us can just make us feel so nervous. I think one of the, mo- the tests that I was most nervous for, though, and I think some of you would agree, was my driver's test. And just in my particular, where I was in life, what was going on, I had to pass the test. If I never passed that day, I was studying in Pretoria at the time. I wasn't getting to varsity that week. And so there was the extra pressure of there's no plan B. I have to pass the test. And by God's grace, I did pass the test. But not all tests come to us on a piece of paper with an examiner. Many of life's tests come to us in the form of the struggles that you and I face. And so as Bianca prayed, every time we face a a financial test, every time we face a work crisis, every time we're looking at a precious relationship that looks like it's falling apart, every time we look at our faith and it feels like maybe something there's falling apart, it is a test. And God knows that every single one of us have been through many of these tests over these last two years. Now, In its best form, what is the point of a test? It's to reveal. Are you ready to drive our roads? And the idea is the test reveals that. If you're a medical student, are you ready to stick your scalpel in the side of somebody? We want to test you and make sure that you're ready Tests reveal in the same way the tests of life reveal something. They reveal our character. They reveal where our faith truly lies. And so as we pick up from where we left off in the book of Exodus, we're going to see that God's people in today's message are going to face 
four different tests. Now, if you've been tracking with us, you might say, Stephen, they've just spent generations in slavery. They've just been through the whole exodus. They were trapped between an ocean and an army. They trusted God and walked through the ocean. Why do they need more tests? And I want to say two things on that. The first one is this. I want you to notice the order. God's salvation comes first, followed by some real tests. Not the other way around. God doesn't test us to see if we're worthy of His grace. He gives us His grace. But then as we start following Him, we are going to experience tests. And the second thing I want to say about this before we feel too sorry for these Israelites, which we will, is that the tests are there not to trap them. God's not in heaven up there saying, oh, look at you, you failed, and pouring out His wrath on them. He wants to reveal something very specific to them. And in this particular case, He wants to show them that while I've got you out of Egypt, there's still Egypt in you. And I need to reveal that to you. I need to reveal where your dependencies lie. I need to show you where your faith lies and give you some real opportunities to change and trust me. And so let's look at these four tests this morning. And we're going to be looking at Exodus 15, verses 22 to 24. And this is test one. So then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, For three days they traveled in the deserts without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. And so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? So immediately we see that these guys are not only a few days into this journey and they're already complaining. And we can judge them for that. But let's think about it. They're three days in a desert probably high 30s, mid 40s. I'm sure they brought some water with them. Part of the exodus was to be ready and prepared, but they weren't carrying entire truckloads of water with them. So the water's running out. They're in day three and there's no water to be found. When they do find water, it's bitter. And so they do what we always do. We need to blame somebody. So they blame the leader, Moses. Now, I'm sure some of you know the term being hangry. For those of you who don't, it's taking the word being hungry and adding it to the word being, hangry, uh, being angry, and so you get hangry. And so my wife can tell you, when I'm hungry, I get hangry. All right? I think what's going on here is something quite similar, but I'm going to invent a new word. Thirsty plus angry equals thangry. So we're all going to try and make that word catch on. But these people were, were very thirsty and they were very upset. So let's carry on reading. So then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. Let's identify where this word comes up. And he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, And do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on any on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, 
the Lord who heals you. And this is the first test, to trust God's plan. And the way we trust God's plan is by number one, listen to what these words are saying here. We need to listen carefully and then do what is right. Listen, follow it by do. And then they rephrase that. Pay attention and then keep. Now sitting here this morning, we've just sung some wonderful songs. Our eyes are on God and it's so easy to say, God, I trust you. And I trust your plan and I trust your ways. And so the question is, if we do trust God, are we doing this? Because God says, if you trust me, you're going to listen to my words and you're going to do what I say. Two sides of the same coin. We can't say we trust God if we're not digging into his word. If we're in a financial situation, God, what do you say about debt? What do you say about wisdom and finances? What do you say about generosity? What do you say about trusting God? You can say you trust God with your marriage if you're not coming to God's word and saying, God, what do you say about marriage? What are your plans? What is your will? We need to, according to these verses, pay attention to this. Now, believe it or not, there are some things that I'm good at, and, and one of them is fly fishing. And I raise that because it's not a common thing that uh, many of us here do. And Now, imagine my kids came up to me and they said, hey, Dad, you know, we've seen you catch lots of fish, and, and we trust how you fish, and so will you teach us to fly fish? So imagine I said, okay, boys, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Okay, I'll tell you what. We're not going to go straight to the dam. We're going to go to a field, and I'm going to teach you how to cast the line. Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad, I trust you. So imagine we got to the field, and I said, boys, here's what you got to do. And as I'm talking to them, they start running away and doing their own thing. I would say, listen, you, you'd say you trust me. You say you're interested in my wisdom, but you're not interested in what I have to say. But then there's a second part. We need to listen carefully. We need to pay attention. And then we need to do what God's word says. According to this verse, we need to keep his commands. Do you know in Hebrew, the word for listen and obey is the same word. The assumption, I'm sure you're joining the dots, is if you hear God, the assumption is you're going to do something about it. And so not only do we need to be listening to His Word, listening to what some good people have had to say and give us some good insights into God's Word, we also need to be putting it into practice. That is what faith and trust literally looks like. And for these Israelites and for us, this is a test. If we say we trust God, are we willing to hear his voice? And are we willing to, as we hear his voice, trust him by putting that into practice? So that's the first test, hearing and doing. 
Let's talk about the second test. And the second test covers the whole of chapter 16. So we're not going to read that whole section. But if the previous test was just regarding them getting thangry, finally they actually get hangry. All right, because now it's a little while later and their food has run out. They're looking around the desert, which is not giving them a bounty of food. And they're like, what do we do now? So once again, they blame Moses. But let's read from verse 3. They say to Moses, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Already they're looking back at 400 years of slavery with rose-tinted lenses. And they're already saying, because of their present experience, they're saying, actually, that is better than this. Now, I, I kind of get that if there isn't any food. And so how does the story develop and unfold? So then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. I heard one guy call this sky bread. I love that idea, sky bread. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Sound familiar? On the sixth day, though, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And in the following verses, God says, so I'm going to be giving you this guy bread. Oh, and by the way, I'm also going to give you some meat for you non-vegans out there. And so I'm going to send some quail to you. Does that sound like a good plan? Verse 13, that evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. But when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And so Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. So God has provided once again in such a miraculous way. So the next day, as you read these verses, you see the Israelites did go out. And they saw this manna and they collected the manna for that day. And something very interesting happened. Those who, for whatever reason, were able to gather more, and then there were others who, for whatever reason, gathered less. When it came to the end of the day, and they kind of stuck their hands in the jar, they all had roughly the same amount. They all had their daily bread. Sound familiar? So Moses reminded them, listen, God says, I'm giving you daily bread. So here's the plan. I want you to eat all of it. I don't want you to keep any of it for tomorrow which makes no sense. You're in a desert. There's no okay. There's no game. There's no pick and pay. There's no like deer running through the place. So what you do is you're supposed to keep your food. You're supposed to store it. You're supposed to hang on to it. But God says, no, we must eat it until it's all done. So what some people did is they said, you know what, that makes no sense. We're gonna do things our way, so we're gonna keep some for tomorrow. And the next day, it smelt like, I once tasted a cheese at the Walkerville show a few years, the worst cheese I've ever tasted in my life. It was called frotzoks. <laughs> the next morning, those who kept the manna, it smelt like frotzoks. And there was worms and maggots in the manna. 
So they're learning their lesson, but then they get to the sixth day and God reminds them, listen, remember, tomorrow is my Sabbath, it's a day unto me. And so what I'm needing you to do is I'm needing you to gather twice as much as you do on a normal day because tomorrow there's not going to be any food. Now think about that. That makes no sense. For five days they've been trained to recognize all the food we keep turns to throat socks and maggots. Now you're asking us to keep double the amount of food. Makes no sense. So some people obeyed, others didn't, and they went out the next morning looking for some manna, and it says, yeah, that God was angry with them. So this is the second test. The second test is to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. I don't need to tell you that being a Christian in 2022 means that if we look at what God has to say about certain things and we look at what our heart wants, or if we look at what God has to say about certain things and we look at what culture says, they're going to be different. And sometimes what makes sense to me is what my heart wants. Or sometimes what's going to make sense to me is what culture's saying. And so the real question is, if we say we trust God, but I'm only going to trust Him when it makes sense to me, the question is, is that really trust? Now, some of you know me. I, I want to understand God's Word. I want to understand God's heart. And when I dive into His plans and His ways, it makes sense to me. And the reason why I stand up here every day it's to help it make sense to us. But it's not always going to be that self-evidence. And so often we're going to be wrestling with what does make sense to me, which is going to be contrary to God's Word. And so the real question is, what are you going to do when what God is calling you to doesn't make sense to you? When God says, here's what I say about finances. Here's what I say about marriage. Here's what I say about, you know, the church is a bad rep right now in the eyes of the world. Here's what I say about the church. Here's what I say about relationships. Here's what I say about how we are to think about our time and our vocation and the reason we live on this planet. And when those goes contrary to my own heart, who am I going to trust? I want to give you a kind of a current example here. A lot of what we're seeing in the world at the moment is a battle over our identity. And the average narrative in the world is saying, you are who you feel you are. And if you want to be authentic, you need to dig down into your heart find out what your feelings are saying and doing, and then live out your feelings. God's Word says, you are who God says you are. You are one who is in Christ. Your primary identity is in Christ. The world says you live out your feelings. Here's what Jesus has to say. It is so offensive to the current mood of culture at the moment. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Listen to this. This is all about identity. For whoever wants to save his life 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus is saying, you want to find your identity? The more you dig inwards, you're going to lose yourself. But if you deny yourself and you lose yourself for my sake and my name and my gospel, the irony is you've taken your eyes off yourself and onto me and it is in that place that you find who you are. Who are you going to trust? That is so counterintuitive right now. But who are you going to trust? In all those areas of our life, it is a test. Let's talk about the third test. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water, once again, for the people to drink. Sound familiar? Let's see what they do this time. Have they learned any lessons? Verse 2, and so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. So Moses goes to God and says, God, these people are angry with me again. What do I do? So God says to Moses, take your staff, take your elders, walk on ahead. I'm going to show you a rock. You're going to take your staff, strike the rock, and water's going to come out of that. That's exactly what happened. God, once again, being so faithful. But maybe you ask, Stephen, I don't understand what the big problem is here. In the first situation, the people didn't have water, and so they kind of learned the lesson that they need to go to Moses and then go to God, and they're going to get water. Isn't that what they're doing this time? You know, one of the stories that I sometimes use when I do weddings, I'm doing a wedding this afternoon, I'm not using this particular story, but one of the stories or, or analogies that I use is this. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, you get married, and let's say you love coffee, in the morning, first thing in the morning, and your spouse knows exactly how you like it. So on day one, you wake up, and next to your bed is coffee the way you like it. How do you feel? Praise Jesus for this new wife of mine. I'm so grateful for you. You love me so much. Day two, you kind of open your eyes, and there it is, the cup of coffee again. Wow, this is not a one-time thing. Get to the end of the week, you've had coffee next to your bed every single morning. You're so grateful. What happens after two years? You expect it. Are you grateful every morning? In fact, the only time you say something is when the coffee is not made the way you like it. Or when for whatever reason the coffee is not there. See, something has changed with regards to our expectation of this other person's kindness. That's what's going on here. It's like your kids saying to you first thing in the morning, feed me. It's like, well, what did you think? Of course I'm going to feed you. But an attitude adjustment would be great. And I think God's saying, guys, of course I'm going to look after you. But an attitude adjustment would be great. He even says, you're grumbling about, against Moses? Do you know you're actually grumbling against me? We also see what happens here at the end of, um, in verse 7. Let's just find the verse here. And he called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling. 
The name of the game was their quarreling. Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us? And I think he has the heart of the second test. I just want to say, all of these tests are about God's provision, but that's not the test. God is providing to show them he is faithful. It's not just about how do I get stuff from God. God is using his faithfulness and these testing moments to show what's really going on in their hearts. And so the third test is, will you trust God's faithfulness? I mean, my word, these Israelites have just seen God come through for them in the most amazing, powerful ways. Defeating Pharaoh, defeating Egypt, defeating the, 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 the natural powers, bringing them through a sea, bringing them through the, through, through the ocean, into freedom, providing water, providing bread, providing meat, and now they're like, oh, I'm we again. Is God even here? And so I believe at the heart of this test is, are you going to let your current circumstances determine your trust of God? Or like we want to take these Israelites and shake them and say, guys, just look back a few weeks. Look at how faithful God is, despite you being thirsty right now. And so for us, listen, we've just been through Easter. If ever you want to know, is God for you. Don't look in your wallet. Look at the cross. If there is any doubt that God is for you, see that He gave Himself, took the sins of the world upon His shoulders, paid for them in full, defeated death, Satan, and hell on your behalf. Because we couldn't do it. But not only can we look at the Easter week and what God has done, Man, we can look through our own lives and just see how God has been so faithful to us. We can look at the highlights of God's provision. We can look at those breakthroughs and maybe right now I'm struggling. But am I going to say, oh, well then God's not with me anymore? Or am I going to stop and say, actually, I know that God is faithful. And so I'm going to trust Him now. I put this on Facebook recently got a strange relationship with my cats. If he sees the bottom of his bowl, I think he's convinced he's never going to eat ever again. And so he will meow at me and meow at me and I'm like, Panda, your bowl is full. Eat. No, meow, meow, meow. And so I feed him again. And I'm like, did you ever for one second think that I will not make sure you're fed? But somehow in his brain, he believes this is the end. I'm going to die any second now. (laughs) It's funny, but aren't we like that? (laughs) I love this quote. I've been wanting to use this quote for years. By a guy called Joseph Bailey. He says, don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. When things are tough, don't be like my cat who forgets that I fed him every single day his whole life. When things are hard, don't forget the cross. Don't forget the testimony that you have. Trust God's faithfulness. Don't forget in the darkness what you learned in the light. Then let's get to the fourth test. 
Exodus 17, verses 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. This is where they were camped out. Now remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. They've got no fighting ability. They're not warriors. This army, these desert clans come and attack them. We actually found out, it's not in the story, but in Deuteronomy chapter 25, just think about this. You're a people group walking through the desert. You know that there's other people. You don't know who you are and what you're about. And you know that you've just got to be wise about this. And so what are you going to do? You're going to put your big men in the front. And the few swords and stuff you've, had, you've got, you're going to make sure they're in the front so everyone can see them. And behind those lines, you'll have the woman and the children and the weak and the frail and your belongings. And we find out that what these Amalekites did is they came in from behind. And they took out their belongings. They took out their women and the weak and the frail. And this was despicable in God's eyes. And so here these Israelites are, these newbies to war, and they're facing this war. And so what's going on here? Verse 10, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady. The word there is faithful. Till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And so here's the heart, I believe, of this test. Will you trust God in prayer? Will you trust God in prayer? And when I say that, I'm going to say, will you really, will you really trust God in prayer? Because here's what Moses didn't do. Oh, wow, God is for us. He has an army. He has another difficult moment. Hey, God, I know that you're with us. I'm going to go have a nap. Joshua's going to fight down there. Everything's going to be okay. Oh, this was grueling. Praying was hard work. You know, in the New Testament, Paul called praying wrestling. And so sometimes we say, yes, I have prayed about my job. You know, thank you, Lord, for the food. Please help me get a job. Amen. I'm grateful that we're sending something God's way. <laughs> but I don't know if, if that's the lesson we're getting out of this. That we need to come to God with, with such desperation. And here's what Jesus teaches us about this. Jesus is not impressed by performance prayer, but his heart is moved by persevering prayer. What's the difference? Performance prayer is in your heart, yo, man, if I make it and crack 45 minutes, I'm pretty sure God will answer my prayer. Yo, I've learned some great theology. Steve gave me some great verses. Man, if I do this, if I do that, if I say the right thing, if I throw in some fancy Christianese words, some fancy theology words, a whole lot of these, a whole lot of those, not only will God be impressed with me, the people around me will be impressed with me. And Jesus says, that kind of prayer, I don't listen to. But when we come to him desperate, not trying to earn his favor, not trying to perform for him, 
but we're willing to persevere. We, re- we are willing to wrestle with God in prayer. The scriptures say very clearly that God's heart is moved. Stephen, I don't understand how that works. Listen, church, I don't exactly know how that works. But God has sovereignly chosen to work through prayer. There's another dynamic here. Moses was up on the hill praying. Joshua was down in the valley fighting. Not everyone was up on the hill praying. So somehow we've got this this kind of uh, relationship between coming to God, trusting God in prayer and in faith and trusting His will, trusting His power, and our willingness to do what is required. I remember at our old church years ago, um, people got upset because at one stage, just because of the crime in the area, we put up a wall, we put up an alarm system, and we got these letters in, you clearly have no faith. And I'm like, so you're saying Moses had no faith? Hey, Joshua, go have a nap. I'm just going to pray. I hope that if your battle is around your work and your finances, I hope that you are persevering in prayer. And I hope you are upskilling yourself. And you are building connections and you're hitting the road and you're picking up the phone. If your marriage is in a difficult spot, I hope that you are persevering like Moses in prayer. And I hope that you are doing something different. You are finding out how to love your wife or your husband better. You are figuring out how to work through forgiveness and healing. Regardless of what your battle is, I really hope You are persevering. And if you're not, this is an invitation to do that. And I hope you are demonstrating your faith by being a good steward of your time and your resources and the skills and the opportunities that God has given you. Because you know what? At the end of this story, when the Israelites won, they didn't say, oh, it's because of Moses. They didn't say, oh, because it's of Joshua. They said it's because of God. And so when situations change in our lives, we're not going to say, oh, it's because I prayed so hard. Look at my prayers. Or, oh, it's because I did A, B, and C. We're going to say, man, everything was just trusting in God. And I praise God and I give God all the glory and the honor for what he's done in winning this battle on my behalf. You know, the book of James, this is the brother of Jesus. He says to the church that he was writing to, he says, okay, you say you've got faith. I'll tell you what, I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. Maybe you say, okay, clearly James is a doer. You know that his nickname was Camel Knees. Because of the calluses he had on his knees from praying. So that's such a lesson for us. Now, as we start moving towards the end here, we see very clearly that Israel didn't always pass the test. And we read through the rest of the Old Testament scriptures and we see that Israel continued to very regularly not pass the test. 
And in fact, the leaders, Moses and David and all the people that we aspire to, they didn't always pass the test. Now let me tell you something. I believe every single word that I've said this morning. And Bianca and I, in our home, we try to live this out as much as we can, but we don't always pass the tests. But my faith is not in my ability to pass the tests, but in the one who has passed the tests. You see, one did come who spends 40 days in the desert without food, without water, faced it down the enemy of God's people, and he passed the test. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was faced with, I'm about to go and be violently killed. And to be honest, God, if there's any other way, please, please, please. But he passed the test because he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so when I fail the test, it doesn't mean I give up. We're called to continue getting up and trusting God in all of these ways. But my ultimate faith is not in me, but in Jesus Christ. Imagine you, let's go back to those high school days. Maybe some of you will identify with this. You hand in your test and you get it back and there's a big fat red F on it. And we know to you, there's another test that got handed in with a big A plus on it. And just the way things worked was, I'm gonna take the F that is due this person and give it this person. And I'm gonna take the A plus due this person and give it to that person. That is what Jesus did for us. Living the perfect, obedient life. Dying on the cross in our place. Taking on your failures and giving you his righteousness. Let's just take this one step further. Think about the nature of these tests. And when Jesus says, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. Jesus is the better and the truer Moses who stood up on a hill with his arms out to defeat our ultimate enemies of sin, death, Satan, and hell. On our behalf. And so today, I want to invite you to great faith, great action. I don't know where God has kind of put his finger on this for you. Maybe you're just being invited once again to pay attention to his voice. Truly, what is God's wisdom in my life? followed with the willingness to go, if you say it, I'm going to put it into practice. And if I fail, I'm going to try again. And if I fail, I'm going to try again. But I'm going to demonstrate my trust, not simply by saying I trust you, but by hearing your voice and doing it. Maybe for some of us, we look at what God has to say about some of the things that have caused us pain and frustration, and it doesn't make sense. And the invitation to you is, are you going to trust God though? Even when what he says might not make sense to you, remember, he is infinitely more intelligent and wise than us. How is it that I'm gonna fully get everything that God is up to?
Maybe you're in a tough spot and you're tempted to believe that God is not with me. And so the invitation this morning is, but God has been faithful to me. And to reaffirm your trust in Him. And then finally, for some of you, you're being invited to maybe step into a different way of praying through what you're going through. And maybe a different way of of putting what God is showing you into practice so that you're actually trusting God with your faith and with your actions. And so this morning, the one side of things are that we're being called to something. But we can't leave it there because then it's just legalism. It just works. It's just up to you and it's not up to you. And so let's look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who has been tested in every way, just as we are and yet was without sin. Let's place our trust in him. And so I want to invite you in whichever way you want to respond. If you want to stand as we pray in a second, if you want to put out your hands, just some tangible response of saying, God, I've heard your voice. Now I'm showing my faith to you in a practical way. So as you pray, I invite, I invite you to stand. I invite you to put your hands out. Some form of response to him. Father, you are faithful. Your word says that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And your word is full of story after story of our failures and your faithfulness. And God, even if we're overwhelmed by our own failures right now, you have paid for those in full. And you invite us to stand and be called son and daughter of the king. As unworthy as we feel right now. But Lord, in the same time, we are faced maybe with circumstances that are rocking our faith. Causing us to believe you aren't faithful, you aren't with us take matters into my own hands, into my own understanding. God, we repent. Not because you beat us with a stick. But this is a moment of revealing what has been in my heart. And so God, in these areas of my life, I choose to trust you. And I acknowledge before you that's so much more than lip service right now. That's so easy to do. I'm going to demonstrate my faith by, you fill in the blank. You know what God is calling you to say, to do, to trust Him with. So Lord, I thank you for the growing faith in this room. And I pray that increasingly we would be a people who can see faith in our lives. And then increasingly we will see your goodness. Increasingly we would see your faithfulness in spite of our failures and the challenges of this world, we will taste and see and know that the Lord is good and He's for us. Thank you for this encouragement, Lord. In your mighty name, amen, amen.